state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. Lejean in a quarterback from Maryland. Looking at third and nine out with 30-yard line. Lejean gets the snap. Gets hit. Drop. Oh, what a sack. Big time hit by JoJo Doman. Back at the 21-yard line. Doman's second sack of the year. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. This is the night the National Football League returns to action. It's the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans from Arrowhead in about 90 minutes. Eh, less than that. 70 minutes away from kickoff. That's awesome. Cannot wait for the NFL to get cranked up and ready. Welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us here on a Thursday night on Sports Island. Great to have you with us here tonight. Lots to cover. In fact, uh, we'll get the latest on all the Big Ten situation with Teddy Greenstein here in just a couple of minutes. Normally we have Teddy later on in the show, but he's certainly been all over this and right there. And the home of the Big Ten offices, he's got maybe some of the latest breaking news. So we'll get to Teddy here shortly. We are going to start on Saturday here on the network, the rebroadcast of the 1994 season. We'll begin our coverage at 1 o'clock on Saturday. The game, the opening game of the year that season was the kickoff classic in the Meadowlands against West Virginia. We're going to relive the go down memory lane some with Mike Babcock, who was covering the Huskers for that 94 season. We'll do that with Mike coming up at the top of hour number two. We'll go beyond the headlines in the second hour. We'll have our face-off in hour three, along with our Flicks picks of the week. So a busy show coming up here tonight. And, as always, want to get your input at 531-500-4686. That's our, our phone line to dial us up. Or fire us off a text as you can utilize our U.S. Cellular text line, U.S. Cellular, the official wireless provider of Husker Athletics. Let's start tonight with some news that just came out within the last 30 minutes. The Omaha World Herald has some breaking story about the Nebraska has purchased the machine to provide them rapid testing. And so Nebraska expects it to arrive within a couple of weeks. They will house it in the East Stadium. Uh, this is a uh, secured a rapid response point-of-care antigen test for potential upcoming season. It's the Quidel testing machine, Q-U-I-D-E-L, and it will be put in the E-Stadium for Nebraska Athletics to utilize. This is the testing that you can get results in about 15 minutes. Uh, and as a lot of people have said, this is a bit of a game-changer Um for college, for all sports, really, for all levels, particularly the professional and the collegiate levels. Uh, and so Nebraska, and th- this was something that, that Ben, the Pac-12, made their announcement. Oh, it's been more than a week that they made their announcement that they had come into uh, contact with one of these companies. It might have been the same one to outfit their entire league here in Nebraska. The Big Ten has not done that. Yeah. <laughs> pregnant pause for effect uh so nebraska's nebraska's gone out and uh purchased this machine and it will be here in a few weeks so that they can start getting these tests back uh almost instantaneously good move good for nebraska you know and and this probably isn't cheap to go purchase this machine but nebraska's doing everything they can to try to get their athletes ready to go and compete yeah no doubt and i think it's you know putting your money where your mouth is at the same time you know they've been harping on this message we want to play we want to play and you know I think much to the chagrin of a lot of the national media which we'll get to I'm sure later tonight talking about 
a statement put out by Ryan Day, Ohio State's head coach. For whatever reason, they seem to to not want teams to advocate to play right now. And, you know, we all have been, you know, abreast of the situation of of the the crucifixion of Nebraska uh, in the public eye for wanting to play. And it would be easy for the people who are all about, you know, you know, it's not safe. Um, medical experts suggest this. Medical experts suggest that. You know, here you've got Nebraska saying, okay, that's fine, but we're going to do everything that we can in our power to make it possible for us to play and, and make sure that we are being safe and doing this the right way and not just maybe play for those other reasons that, um, you know, people are suggesting other than, you know, to appease our student athletes and their wants and needs. I to, to be able to do this, Greg, I think is – it's huge, and I think it just it it's it's envisionary. It's it's Nebraska who are constantly looking for ways to pioneer uh, regularities within their athletic department that that make it student athlete living as as good of a situation as possible. And this for those that aren't so comfortable with the idea of playing right now, just the peace of mind of knowing you could walk over to your own I mean to walk over to your stadium in between classes if you want to get yourself a test before your next class starts have a result I mean I feel like I was talking with somebody about this yesterday I feel like a lot of this pandemic and and the reason why you know there's so much fear about it is just for that reason is is the fear you know you don't go to this place because you might you know the, the the risk of this happening you don't know who has it you don't know who you're around that may have it it just just the fear in the back of your head is just as bad as the virus itself and when you can rid yourself of any of that fear and walk around and compete and be on the football practice field or be on um, the soccer pitch or be on the basketball floor, knowing in your mind that every, all of your teammates and everybody around has been tested and they're negative, you can focus on setting that screen, hitting that jump shot, throwing that pass. I mean, you you can get just have so much peace of mind and for Nebraska to, to to be able to do this and not just Greg for the players but for the staff and the support staff and the coaches who uh, are probably a little bit older and and you know are maybe a little bit more affected or have families or around more people it's not just the athletes that are going to benefit from this as well so it's it's just you know I continue to be amazed by what's happening and the decisions made by by Bill Moose by Ted Carter and you know everybody and it's 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 so cool to sit back and watch this stuff happen because i know at the end of the day you know when i when i go to bed or when i wake up that i'm involved with the university that wants to go play sports again and wants wants everything to happen and this is a giant step to be able to do that so once again huge kudos to to everybody over there i know you know, the financial commitment to do this probably wasn't an easy one, given the decisions that had to be made by Mill Moose and his department. But, you know, to, to be able to get those athletes out there playing again with that. And again, the most important thing, Greg, is that peace of mind to where, you know, you just got tested and now you can just go focus on what you need to focus on. It's huge. He's originally from New York, but now calls the second city his home. He prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate, but his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. 
Well, last week you, you penned a piece saying the Big Ten needed to come out with something quick. Well, here's a week later. We, we don't have anything yet. Teddy, what's what's the latest in, in your world there? I know, Greg. I was saying it has to be done by September 12th because people are just going to be losing their minds in Big Ten country watching these ACC games on Saturday. But uh, I tweeted the other day, it's possible that a new vote will be taken this weekend uh, but not before Sunday, I'm told. Sunday and Monday are both possibilities, but that's really at the earliest. And then the interesting question is, are they going to vote just to have a restart or not have a restart, or are they going to have a specific goal in mind in terms of the date? That really, I think, simply remains to be seen. I, I think there's arguments to be made on both, but I think more likely they say we're going to restart and then we're going to see you know, what the progress we make in terms of testing and contact tracing and what we learn. So they might not have a specific date, but they're, I think, just the spirit of trying to get back as soon as possible. And then, you know, if that happens, they'll just be rampant speculation as when is as soon as possible. But, you know, all these people who say it's October 10th, it's this date, it's that date, they don't know what they're talking about. None of this stuff has been decided. There's not been a vote yet. And it's still all evolving. I mean, there's there's some good news out there and some bad news out there. The bad news, unfortunately, is that schools like Wisconsin have paused. They've shut down for a couple weeks, and they're not having football workouts. The good news for people who want football is that these other leagues are pulling it off. And, you know, you've got coaches like Ryan Day who are applying maximum heat on uh, Kevin Warren and the presidents. Is that how you're reading it that with, uh, with, uh, with Franklin and Day just trying to apply some pressure right now? Uh, it's so much. And I mean, I've got this, you know, Ryan Day statement in front of me. You've seen it. I thought it was interesting, too, that he even mentions Duke is playing Notre Dame and Clemson is playing Wake Forest this weekend. Like, that's not stuff you'd normally see in a statement. <laughs> you know, our players want to know why can't they play? You know, I, people have just dug in so hard on the two sides of this, and I've been much more in the middle. I, I mean, I understand the science. I understand how hard it is to pull it off. I also totally understand why, if you're in the state of Ohio, you're saying, you know, how come every level of football is being played? How come there's the Browns and the Bengals and University of Cincinnati and Pop Warner football and high school football, but there's no Ohio State? I, I, I totally understand, and I'm sure I would be the same way as the folks believing that. It's tricky, too, because obviously if you're Ohio State and then to a lesser extent Penn State, you know, starting in November, December, or January doesn't do much for you. Like if you're, if you're Northwestern or Purdue or, you know, it'd be great to play some games. You try to beat your rival. You try to win the Big Ten. That would be a great season. But for schools like Ohio State that are in a playoff or bust mentality, it doesn't do much. I, th I thought it was interesting over the weekend. Uh, Michigan had a bit of a, a, a protest. Jim Harbaugh was spotted marching up and down the street with him. And, and one comment he made was, he goes, I c he can't even get his own president to, to converse yeah. with him a little bit. And that seems odd to me that the head football coach at Michigan can't get an audience with the president of the school. That seems odd. The Michigan situation, I think, is the most fascinating of all the schools, right? Because, like, okay, we know where Nebraska, Ohio State, and Iowa stand. Those are clear. Those are let's play. Michigan is this clash between football and science, and it's the most pronounced there of the 14 schools. You've got Jim Harbaugh literally walking in the streets outside the big house, <laughs> and then you've got the president, Mark Schlissel, who has degrees, I believe, from Johns Hopkins and Princeton, 
who is essentially a specialist in antibodies. Now it's cancer related antibodies, but you know, it's biomolecular, biomolecular engineering, I believe. So he is a scientist at his root. And how does Michigan decide? What do they do? Who's got the power? You know, the thing about Harbaugh saying he hasn't been in direct touch with Schlissel, I think more coaches are like that than you'd think. Like, they talk to the AD, and it's the AD's job then to talk to the president. And a lot of them respect that chain of command. I think it's up to the university president to reach out to the football coach if that president wants the coach's uh, opinion. But for a coach to be calling the president, I think some people would feel that is bad form, even though in a lot of these schools, you know, the coach <laughs> practically, you know, they think the coach runs the school. I mean, it's that old Gordon Gee line about, you know, he wants to, uh, he doesn't want to do anything to offend Jim Tressel. But uh, I think in a lot of schools, the coaches are saying they talk to their athletic director and they don't get involved in the presidential politics there. Okay, so you think Sunday, Monday may be a vote, but we just don't know if it's for an October, a November, a January start. That's kind of the weird – that's how I read it too. Sunday, Monday at the earliest. And, um, yeah, I think it's really not determined yet if they – what they will be voting on. But I think it's, yeah, I do think it's more likely that it's not a specific calendar because this thing is changing all the time. And, and we've got three or four Big Ten schools now that, that really can't practice. Like I was in touch with somebody from Michigan State today because Michigan State's been really quiet. They're just in like weightlifting mode and a lot of schools are in that. I've heard that Ohio State and Michigan are fully practicing football, um, although the Big Ten has said you can't do it full padded. So to say, okay, it's going to be, you know, I don't think they want to come out and say it's going to be December 26th because what if, you know, what if things can happen faster? I mean, I think one of the huge things here, Greg, is this rapid testing. You know, you saw Larry Scott of the Pac-12 come out last week and call it a breakthrough. When can these machines be delivered to campus? I think it's at the end of September. And then I think you probably have to give it at least a week to test out, work out its kinks. So if you can start for real practicing maybe the second week of October, where does that leave you? The safest route, I think, is to start practicing over Thanksgiving when the student, when the campuses clear out. Mm-hmm. But then, obviously, you can't play until after December or early January, and that's not going to satisfy a lot of people. Yeah. You mentioned the, the ACC, the Big 12, also gets going this week as well. You're going to be at a game, right? You're heading to Notre Dame. I am, Greg. I'm headed to Duke Notre Dame. I got the regulations today. Um, must be in the press box a minimum of two hours before kickoff. Oh, I know. And I, it, and, and that's not even the part that kind of throws me off because, you know, my editor wants kind of a color piece. I mean, I want to interview people outside the stadium. So I said, am I permitted to leave then once I arrived two hours before and the, you know, the media relations person is pretty much like, no. Okay. So I guess we'll be bubbled in the press box. Um, Hopefully there'll be some ventilation and some open uh, some open air. But, you know, it'll be a spread out box. I think they're accepting about a third. They're credentialing about a third of the people they normally would. And um, it'll be weird. It'll be, uh, you know, I'm kind of honored to be there because it's one of these moments where you feel like you're part of history a little bit. And uh, we'll see what it's like once the game starts. Notre Dame's expecting anything about 15,000, but no riffraff. You know, it's just students, faculty, staff, and family of the players. Irish appear to be a pretty good football team. Is that your impression going into this thing? Yeah, they are certainly considered uh, a good shot for for the playoffs to make the playoff. I don't think anybody's really picking them to win 
at all because you got to go through probably Clemson or the SEC. But uh, solid defense, you know, and, and Ian Book is your quarterback, one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the country, very, very accomplished. Last year, 34 touchdowns, six interceptions, I believe. Uh, highly motivated because last I checked, he was being projected as a fifth to seventh round draft pick. So you know he's going to want to go the Joe Burrow route and try to go from, you know, a third day guy to a, a first overall guy. Um, Joe's really cleared that route for a lot of guys. I'm so, so I'm sure they're, they're, you know, incredibly motivated. So yeah, Notre Dame should be solid. It's, it's a weird mentality for those guys, man. It's Charlotte or bust. That's where the, the ACC title game is. And um, they need to be in that game. You know, they'll play Clemson at home on, on November 7th and that game is important, but if they can get to a rematch, that's the one that's really important. Teddy Greenstein is with us from the Chicago Tribune. You meant you dropped the, the, the mention of NFL. It gets going tonight, the Chiefs and Texans. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the Bears fans are fired up. Mitch Trubisky named yeah. the starting quarterback. How'd that go over when that announcement came out in Chicago? I was not surprised. I had predicted this in the spring. I was on with my friends Dan McNeil and Danny Parkins, and they almost laughed me out of the studio. They were like, are you kidding me? He's terrible. Obviously, it's going to be Nick Foles. That's why they signed him. I said, I don't think so. I said, first of all, I actually don't think Mitch Trubisky is that bad. Like two years ago, his numbers were pretty good. Last year, he had a left shoulder injury. Uh, You know, I don't think they've got great skill or a running game that, that protects him. I mean, Mitch did not have a good season last year. I'm not going to pretend he didn't, but I don't think Foles is that great, but more so the Bears are not ready to admit that they completely botched this pick. Uh, the quarterbacks playing tonight, of course, are the two yeah. they could have had, and nobody will ever let these guys forget that they could have had Deshaun Watson, who we all thought they should have picked, or Patrick Mahomes, who if you were really crazy smart and, and, and scouted your butt off, you know, maybe you could have seen that, that this was coming. Uh, so I'm not surprised. I think with Trubisky, he's always been a starter, and Foles has often been a backup. So it's smarter to start with Trubisky, and then if he fails, you go with Foles versus flipping it uh, because if Mitch isn't the starter, maybe you lose him mentally. Yeah, well, I know most fans are ready to rock and roll and watch these things happen. Oh, my God. We've used the term pretty good a couple times in this interview tonight. I, that's probably not the right adjective to put on Dustin Johnson because he's been mm. above that. <laughs> so two-part question, your thoughts about the way he dominated the last month. And, and then the PGA named their player of the year this week, and it, and it wasn't him. It was Justin Thomas. DJ was yep. like fifth. That's crazy. That part is weird. I have no idea about that voting except that. I vote for some cool awards, but certainly not that one. I think that's players. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dustin, I mean, aside from the fact that he's just, you know, wonderfully gifted and, you know, his heart rate never, never <laughs> varies. He's the chillest guy out there. He's so clutch. I, I mean, down the stretch, I was watching and he just pipes that drive on 18, which is a really hard fairway to hit at East Lake. And then he's in the bunker. And, of course, he plays the perfect bunker shot. The, the low risk, you know, about eight feet short knocks that in and just has done it. Obviously hasn't done it a lot in the majors, but you'd have to think this guy can still win two, three, four more majors. Yeah, great stuff. He'll have a chance in a week, U.S. Open one week. Yeah, that's right. All right, Teddy, we'll continue to follow this incredible saga of Big Ten football. Have a good week. (laughs) Travel safe to South Bend, and we'll chat next week. Saga is the correct word, Greg. Be well, and uh, exactly. Hopefully we'll get some good news by the time we speak next week. Happy to have, and always a pleasure to have Mike Babcock joining us here on Sports Nightly. You've covered a lot of things in your illustrious career. Now you can add covering sports during a pandemic. How about that, adding that to your resume? Yeah, this is not like anything. 
It's not like anything. But the one thing that uh, is consistent, and uh, you've dealt with it already on the show, but the, the passion of Husker fans doesn't go away, pandemic or not, the passion that remains. It's there, and there. I mean, uh, there's an emptiness. Was there an emptiness for you on Saturday, knowing that you should have been in a press box watching Purdue and Nebraska play? How did you How did you handle this past weekend? Yeah, um, you know, there was a, a bit of an emptiness. At, at one point, I thought, you know, way back when I thought there would be a season um, of some sort, and I, and I figured. Uh, uh, you probably have to social distance in the press box, and I figured uh, in that context I probably wouldn't be in the press box anyway. So I'd probably come to grips with it, you know, already. But, uh, yeah, you never quite – it doesn't seem quite right when you get to fall, and uh, this would have been my 43rd season. So, um, yeah, uh, it's not like anything that you've ever dealt with before. I mean, we certainly we, we miss the pageantry, the color, the excitement of a game day, and I miss the buzz around town. I mean, our offices are down in the Haymarket, and boy, there's just such a buzz on a Friday of a home football weekend that you just don't see any other time of the year. That That's what I miss, just seeing people come together, having a good time, ready to root their Huskers on. But we'll get it back at some point in time, someday we'll, we'll have that back. Because of the vo- the, the void, the emptiness, we, we're going to fill some airtime for our affiliates this fall, Mike, by going back and replaying the 1994 season. And we wanted to get you on, as I know you were actively covering the team during that 94 season. And uh, take me back to start that thing with the loss in the Orange Bowl the year before and what didn't didn't that in a lot of ways set the stage in your mind for the next fall? Yeah, well, I think that I you know I think the players coming back used that as motivation, and I I, I seem to remember the, the Tom Osborne telling a story about riding the bus back to the team hotel after the game and telling talking to Baron Miles, I think. I think it was Baron Miles who was really down, and he said to you know Baron, well, you know we can be back, you know we can we can come back and and try this again. And I, you know, I I just think that that was you know logically it's, it's easy to say in retrospect, you know, because wow they got it done, but but I really do believe that there was that attitude that hey we were that close, um, we can come back and and uh, and do it again. And uh, they had a good core of uh, players coming back. And, you know, I think that they felt like there, there was that possibility. And I think it motivated them um, to, to get there. So, um, yeah, I think there was a, I think there was a definite uh, correlation between the two. Well, you know, I, th- during this quarantine, they, they've been showing a lot of old games. And I watched that 94 Orange Bowl, which was Nebraska-Florida State. And what a wild finish. Both teams able to score in the last couple of minutes, and then the missed field goal at the end. Um, so, yeah, I, I can certainly imagine how being that close, knowing that you had a good core of that team back and a couple quarterbacks who they certainly liked and Tommy and Brooke going into that. How, how much was the quarterback battle a topic leading into that 94 season, do you recall? Oh, yeah. I think there was a, I think there was a, lot, of, a lot of conversation about that. You know, who was going to be the quarterback? And, I, you know, I – I think it was truly a competition, and, and uh, you know, Tommy had to earn the job. And, it, you know, that's the one thing that 
Among the many things, I guess, that I take away from that that season was that competition between the quarterbacks and the fact that Tommy got hurt uh, in the fourth game of the season. And, you know, Brooke Berner comes in, and he leads Nebraska to a Big 8 championship. And, you know, I'm going to diverge a little bit here. here here's my probably my most vivid memory of the 94 season. Um, it's a very personal thing, but um, – I made the New York Daily News. Uh, Nebraska's getting ready to play Colorado, and Bill McCartney said made some comment uh, early in the week about he just didn't think that Brooke Barrier could handle the pressure. Okay, and, and so I wrote a column towards the end of that week saying that I thought that, you know, Colorado would probably win the game, uh, practically speaking, but, you know, as a, somebody that had grown up in Nebraska, uh, my heart was with uh, with the Huskers, but I thought Colorado would win the game. And, of course, Nebraska won the game handily and with Brooke at quarterback. And after the game, and the, and the writer in the New York Daily News, there are a lot of national writers were at that game. And the writer in the, in the story in the New York Daily News, the lead in the story was, you would not want to be Mike Babcock in Lincoln, Nebraska today. Because I had Colorado. <laughs> Did your house get egged or anything? Did TP? Did anybody come take it, take care of you in the neighborhood? No, some other fans weren't too happy about it. But I had a friend that uh, wrote a letter to the editor of the newspaper and said, you know, get off his back. He was just trying to be honest about it. But um, you would not want to be Mike Babcock in Lincoln, Nebraska today. New York Daily News. That was a lead lead in the story on the Nebraska Colorado game. So uh, that's uh, that's. That's, you know that was and and, and again you know Brooke Berger hit twenty four to seven. I mean it wasn't it wasn't close and uh, he handled the pressure. There was no question about that. We're visiting with Mike Babcock of Hale Varsity here on Sports Nightly, reminiscing about the '94 season, which we're going to replay this fall here on the network on Saturday, starting with the West Virginia game this week. Colorado was had turned kind of in that era of the '90s into. The game, right? I mean, Oklahoma had slid back a little bit. Gary Gibbs didn't quite keep it at the level that Barry had. It, for a few years there, it was Colorado, wasn't it, as the main rival? Yeah, you know, and I always said that, the, you know, it it reflected what had to be the case in the Big Eight, and it reflected what the, the wisdom of Tom Osborne. Um, you know, the, in order to be successful in the Big Eight, you had to play the way the best teams in the Big Eight played. Okay, so Nebraska made the move to an option offense because that's the way Oklahoma played, and that's if you wanted to be successful, that's what you had to do. You had to you had to play the way Oklahoma did because it affected also how you practiced and and how your defense what your defense saw in practice uh, in preparation because uh, when Nebraska was uh, getting ready to you know at, at the beginning of the season Nebraska would throughout the season would spend time working on the wishbone, even though it didn't play any wishbone teams until Oklahoma, because, you know, you just didn't see it. That's what you had to do. So when Colorado finally got up there, um, how did it play? It played the way Nebraska and Oklahoma played. It went away from that just throwing the ball, which the Buffaloes had done when McCartney first got there. Um, two, one, where you had a quarterback that could move, a guy like Cordell Stewart. You had a you had a great running back, a guy like Rashawn Salam who wins a Heisman Trophy. 
um, and and a, and a good receiver in Westbrook or whatever. But you played the way uh, you you ran the ball. You that was the important thing that you did. And even when Kansas State kind of came up, you saw that um, mm-hmm. Michael Bishop. You kind of you had you had that versatility in your offense, and you ran. There was an emphasis on the ability to run the ball, and uh, you know that's that's the thing that uh, that put Colorado in that competitive position uh, during that time, and it led to Colorado being able to win a national championship. You know, uh, speaking of running the ball, Lawrence Phillips was pretty good in that '94 campaign, wasn't he? Running behind a heck of an offensive line. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the offensive line because I think that was important too. But yeah, I think Lawrence Phillips rushed for uh, 100 yards in the first 10 games, I think. Or uh, he didn't rush for 100 yards against Oklahoma. I think that might have been the only regular season game he didn't get 100 yards. Um, and then he just came up a little bit short in the Orange Bowl, like four yards or something. But um, um, yeah, and and. And so you think about the Kansas State game, um, you know what? How Lawrence responded there? I think he had a jam thumb or something on top of that, and and uh, Matt Terman started the game or whatever. But um, yeah, Lawrence Phillips uh, finished with seventeen hundred plus yards uh, rushing. Uh, really a a, a great uh, running that, that emphasis on the running game again. Um, and you had to pick up some slack because you didn't have Tommy Tommy Fraser there to to run the options. But uh, Brooke does a great job. And I, you know, I'm jumping around here a little bit. But another thing, a couple things that, that struck me. Uh, but but one that I think was really important, and I remember uh, when Mike Mitter went down in the uh, uh, Texas Tech game, second game of the season. Uh, Minner suffers a, a an ACL injury and he's he's lost for the season and you know I thought thought at the time oh man that is a devastating blow you know losing him who comes in to play that position that safety position Tony Veland who <laughs> the year before was a quarterback and against Texas Tech second game of the season he comes in to give Tommy a Fraser a, a breather because Tommy had. Uh, had had an ankle sprain in the opener and uh, wasn't at full speed. And in the first quarter, Brooke Beringer had given him a little bit of a, a breather, but Brooke had an elbow problem that affected his passing. So uh, as Tom often did, he had a predetermined thing that uh, Tony was going to get in. Um, at quarterback, he comes in. He gets uh, – uh, Tony gets in like two or three plays and uh, – a knee injury sits him out for the rest of the year. So he didn't play the rest of the year at quarterback. And then he comes back. He gets an opportunity to come back. He's a safety, and he replaces Mike Minter, who only got two two games into the season, and he's out. And, I, you know, Tony Veland does, became a, a, an outstanding safety as well. So, you know, you had uh, Phillips step up in the situation. You had... Matt Terman step up in a situation uh, when when Beringer had the collapsed lung. Um, uh, just you know things that happened in that season, you would think, well, there's a devastating blow. You know, Tommy Fraser has the blood clots uh, problem, and uh, he's gone. So how what's going to happen there? Then Brooke Beringer comes in. He has a partially collapsed lung. 
it's like, holy mackerel, how are they going to handle this? <laughs> uh, they go to Kansas State, and, and uh, Matt Terman comes in, and he, Matt Terman plays the second half of the Oklahoma State game because of the Brooks collapse lung. Just guys were stepping up. Um, and so, you know, you didn't expect that you would have those problems, and then when they occurred, you wondered, well, how are they going to resolve those things? But uh, but they did. And to come full circle, you mentioned the offensive line. That's one thing that helped the off- the offense, no matter who was running it, no matter who was carrying the ball or who was directing it, you had that offensive line, Wiegert, Stye, Aaron Graham, Joe Wilkes, Rob Zadiska. Um the pipeline. I think that the media guide for for '94, I think, was the first one that actually referred to the offensive line as the pipeline, and had the on the back cover they had a picture of a, of a handful of offensive linemen standing in front of these big concrete pipes, and they were the pipeline. But that's how that's how your offense is going to be successful. That offensive line. Well, you, you just laid out eloquently one of the reasons why we chose that season and not 95 or 97, because there were so many subplots for that team to get over to remain undefeated and to win it all. I don't know that they would be considered one of the top two or three all-time great Husker teams, but they just found a way to get it done week to week to week. The 95 season, they just mauled people. I mean, they were just wipeout after wipeout after wipeout as they were just a machine that year. But 94 had so many fun storylines, and I think that's why it's going to be fun to relive that uh, for, our, for our audience here in the, in the coming weeks on Saturdays. Mike, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, and uh, hopefully we're, we're back to the days where we're grabbing a piece of Val's pizza and listening to these coaches talk again. Oh, yeah, yeah. That'll be great <laughs> when that happens. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. Appreciate it. Again, delighted to be joined now by a good friend, John Morris, the play-by-play voice of the Baylor Bears. Baylor was all getting was getting set to open their season Saturday against Louisiana Tech, and that was until Tuesday when that game got uh, postponed because of an outbreak of COVID-19 at Louisiana Tech. John joins us now from Waco. Good evening, sir. How are you? Greg, the only constant is change, and uh, I think we're all living <laughs> through that right now, but it's good to hear your voice. It's great to be on with you. When were you? When did you first get word that this game could be in jeopardy for Saturday? Uh, Sunday, actually. Uh, I, I think Louisiana Tech was doing a good job of keeping us informed that there might be a situation. They were down to uh, a, a manageable number of players, but they had tested again on Sunday and said the results were going to be back on Tuesday. And if they lost any more players, they weren't going to be able to play the game scheduled for this Saturday. So really Sunday we had kind of an inkling about that, kept it under wraps, and then found out from them on Tuesday. So uh, here it is, game week, and, you know, Coach Aranda's had his uh, normal Monday press conference talking about LaTeX and everything, and then by Tuesday there's no game. You mentioned Coach Aranda, Dave Aranda, the first-year head coach for Baylor, coming from LSU, where he's a part of that terrific national championship run a year ago. And Husker fans will remember Dave Aranda as the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin. And I'll tell you, John, we were really glad when he left the Big Ten. He was so (laughs) talented coordinating that defense. What's it been like, the transition to him the last seven, eight months? 
Yeah, I, I think he's great. I think it's a great hire, another great hire by our athletic director, Mac Rhodes. Uh, you know, he found Matt Rule when not many people knew about Matt Rule, and look what he did here at Baylor three years, and we ended up in the uh, Big 12 championship game in the Sugar Bowl last year. Coach Rule, of course, went on to uh, the Carolina Panthers, and so uh, Mac went back to work and identified uh, Dave Aranda uh, from uh, LSU, got him here. It's his first head coaching job, but, man, he seems like uh, – he seems like he's been a head coach, been in that chair for 20 years. He's, uh, you know, by all accounts, everybody that's been around him and seen his work, uh, they say he's just a defensive genius. So it's really fun to have him here. And, you know, I, I was disappointed for him that we didn't get to open the season this past or this upcoming Saturday. So hopefully that'll come in a couple of weeks and uh, Dave Aranda era will start here at Baylor. What's, what's next? What's the next game on the schedule? Well, right now, uh, I, to be honest with you, we're trying to find a game, trying to find okay. somebody to play on the 19th. You guys available on the 19th? <laughs> you want to come to Waco? <laughs> I think we'd love come to. I like the big. I don't yeah. think the Big Ten would let us. We'd love to do it, but I don't think the conference is so hip on that. Yeah, I don't want to get you in trouble there, but uh, seriously, they would. The coach would like to play a game on the 19th if you can find somebody, but the you know clock's kind of winding down on that, and they haven't been able to find anybody yet. Tomorrow's probably the deadline for that. So if that doesn't happen, if we can't find somebody to play on the 19th, uh, our next scheduled game is the 26th, and it's the conference opener against Kansas here in Waco. So as it stands right now, that'll be our, our next game, our first game of the year, uh, our Big 12 opener. Again, visiting with John Morris, the play-by-play voice of the Baylor Bears, who had their game postponed on Tuesday. It was supposed to play Louisiana Tech on Saturday in Waco. John, what am I missing? Baylor had a magical year last year, as you mentioned, the Sugar Bowl run. And yet, when I talk to people around the country, they don't mention Baylor toward the top of the list of the Big 12. What am I missing? Yeah, I think that's fine with me, actually. You know, I think it's the coaching change. Uh, we lost nine starters on the defensive side of the ball. We got a good number seven back on the offensive side. But we lost a lot of key guys from last year. Uh, and, and then, you know, you change coaches also. So that probably has scared some people. But I tell you what, I, I think we're sitting pretty uh, pick fifth in most polls in the Big 12. And I think we're that good or better this year. I really like the staff that Dave Aranda's put together here. Larry Fedora's back as the offensive coordinator. Ron Roberts is the defensive coordinator. And he's, he's got a really quality staff around him. So I, I think we'll do well. We just got to get going and get some games and, you know, just see uh, what Coach Aranda can do when we finally get this team on the field. You and I spoke back in um, – it was, it was mid-February, and the Baylor basketball team was ranked number one. I mean, it had to be really disappointing to not let that team compete in the NCAA tournament come March. Yeah, really disappointing. I mean, that was a great team. It was Scott Drew, you know, he's been here 18 years, and that's the best team he's had top to bottom. Uh, we were probably going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, number one in the nation, and, you know, for five straight weeks this year. And uh, just, a, just a, a solid team, and I felt worse for the seniors who uh, all of a sudden were having this great year, looking ahead to the NCAA tournament, and then it was over. Just like that, it was over. And for those seniors, you know, they didn't have anything, you know, else, uh, any other options, you know, than to move on. So I really felt bad for them, for our guys and our women's team. You know, they were probably going to be a number one seed also and they you know met the same fate there when their season ended so 
it was really tough to see. I felt bad for them, but uh, boy, there've been a lot of disappointments uh, athletics-wise uh, during this COVID nineteen. Yeah, no doubt. It's taken, it's taken so many opportunities away from young people. It's really been disappointing to see. Now, if you had played Saturday, John, would you have had fans in the stadium? What What was the talk around town for that? Yeah, our policy would have been 25%, uh, and that's what most Big 12 schools are doing. Uh, it really is up to each school because it's different. You know, it's different in Waco than it is in Ames, than it is in Austin, than it is, you know, in uh, Norman. So it, it's different city to city and state to state. But ours would have been 25%, um, would have taken care of most of our uh, season ticket holders. And they had, uh, you know, 25% uh, capacity for students also. There was a plan to have a student presence at the game. So would have been strange for sure. But, uh, you know, I'm watching the, the Chiefs and the Texans play play right now and what do they have like 25 percent i think they're at arrowhead stadium so um would have been good to have some fans at least you know not playing in just an empty uh stadium so that was our plan and that is our plan at this point moving forward very good well what are you gonna do saturday what what's what's plan b (laughs) for you now (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need a game, man. You got uh, you got a game for me to work. You and I could work together. Uh, I'm looking. For, I'm looking for one. I know you are. How about this? So this Saturday, the twelfth, it'll be uh, six months to the day since uh, since things shut down. March twelfth, we were in Kansas yeah. City, uh, Big Twelve basketball tournament, ready to play. You know that day, and that's when things ground to a halt. You know there. So six months to the day. And I was hoping, you know, that we'd get back in action on Saturday, but not going to happen. So uh, just have to wait at least another couple of weeks. All right. Well, you'll get it going. We I just I appreciate you coming on and updating us on what's happening. It's, I think, going to be kind of a wild fall with a lot of games getting pushed back a week or moved to a different schedule. I think we're just all going to have to be adaptable, and I know you'll handle it with grace. John, we appreciate it. Great. Yeah, man, great to talk to you, Greg. Appreciate you. Thanks very much for calling. Thanks to Ben, Josh, Mick, and all of you for listening tonight. Join again tomorrow. Good night.